My immigrant Hmong parents had taken refuge from the American War in Vietnam and eventually made central Wisconsin their new home. Home is a hard concept for me. It may be because I was born in a refugee camp. It may be because I was raised in central Wisconsin, growing up along the sides of shaded ginseng crops. Home to me has never been a physical place. Welcome to Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. I'm Amy Spreeman, and that audio that you just heard was from a story aired recently by Wisconsin Public Radio. And today we are talking about how sharing stories in the news and lifting up the voices of people in our community really lends itself to making the Fox Valley feel like home for everyone. Joining me in the co-host chair today is Tammy Geenan, our Vice President of Community Engagement. Welcome back, Tammy. Hi, Amy. So glad to be here and to talk about this exciting initiative in our part of the state. Yes, uh, we've been engaged in a major effort to preserve and support the work of local newsrooms to bring issues of importance to the forefront through storytelling. And it's called the NEW News Lab. Now, NEW, or N-E-W, is an acronym for Northeast Wisconsin. So, Tammy, let's talk about the News Lab and how we became involved. Yeah, Amy, the New News Lab is a partnership that we have been involved in here at the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region, along with our partner, the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation, um, for about the last two years or so with several other um, partners. And this collaboration has been made up of six news organizations, the Green Bay Press-Gazette, Appleton Post-Crescent, Fox Valley 365, The Press Times, Wisconsin Public Radio, and Wisconsin Watch. In addition, the University of Wisconsin Green Bay's journalism department is an educational partner. And how this all got started a couple of years ago is um, Microsoft Corporation provided initial financial support to help start this local initiative. Um, This was one of Microsoft's fifth regional news pilots across the country. And it has become the largest um, pilot and also has the most varied network of partners uh, across any of the pilots that they're engaged in. And so we're just um, very proud to be part of this larger collaboration and to see what the future holds for it. Our mission as part of this initiative is to all work together to identify and fill information gaps that can help people explore ways to improve their communities and their lives, and to help our communities flourish. Yeah, and that's the what. So here's the why. Local newsrooms have traditionally been the heart of their communities in years past, of course, but technology changes that we've seen and cultural changes in the way we consume news has changed. For instance, digital advertising and the way people receive their news has led to a, I guess we'd call it a news desert of sorts. We've seen a decrease in newsroom employment and fewer local stories. We've also seen an increase in digital illiteracy for many people, making some folks susceptible to manipulated content. And of course, there's the whole issue of cyber attacks. So the news partners Tammy mentioned came up with a solution to address these concerns, and the new news lab was born. So how specifically has the new news lab been working to make change happen? Well, Amy, the partnership has been extremely successful in producing in-depth stories of interest to the people of Northeast Wisconsin. 
Wisconsin that would not have been possible without this initiative. Uh, the support has allowed news outlets to add reporters to cover Northeast Wisconsin while producing some synergies that have enriched Wisconsin's local news ecosystem. So together, the partners have developed a decision-making process to help determine what in-depth news topics to be prioritized, um, issues that are very important to people who live in our region, things like affordable housing, the child care crisis, mental health, stories about refugees and changes in our demographics, which are all very complex issues that go beyond a few paragraphs or a quick um, soundbite. Yes, and one of the ways the journalists are helping their readers, their viewers, and listeners dive deep into these complex issues is by sharing the stories and lifting the voices of people who are actually living these issues, people whose voices you might not necessarily hear in your everyday conversations, which is exactly what this podcast, Voices from the Valley, is all about. Right. And it's, it's been so interesting um, to take a look at focusing on the storytelling pieces and, and how that really just brings more, um, more of these issues um, to life and helps to create that connection um, through storytelling. Um, so there is a, a two-year kind of results report that is available about what the initiative has accomplished. And you can access that in our show notes today. Um, but just one thing to be able to share with you is over the course of this initiative, with all of the stories um, that have been published, they've been picked up by more than 125 news outlets nationwide and have reached an estimated audience of more than 23 million people. So I just am, am so proud of um, the news partners and all of the partners that have invested so far in this effort because um, it really shows how formerly competing newsrooms can collaborate um, for the good of the entire community um, when there are these gaps or news deserts, as, as you referenced, how to make sure people are still staying informed and hearing stories that are in, uh, from people that are impacted every day. Well, and you know, Tammy, you and I both come from a news background, broadcast news, and uh, to have people sit around a table and share this information, instead of worrying about getting a scoop, you know, having that exclusive interview, um, that that's just unheard of from the generation that we came from. Well, absolutely. And, and that's what's been so exciting um, to see how this new News Lab initiative has developed. And as recently as this fall, um, there's been a, a recommitment by um, the lead financial financial supporters to ensure that this effort continues. Um, so we are so grateful by uh, grateful to rather uh, the renewed investments by Microsoft, the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation, our Community Foundation for the Fox Valley region, as well as the Green Bay Packers that will be helping to ensure this in-depth reporting and storytelling continues. Um, so today we are going to spend the rest of the episode looking at the impact that one of the media partners has been able to make, um, and this is Wisconsin Public Radio. Yes, I had a chance to sit down recently with Maureen McCullum, who is the host and producer for Wisconsin Life on Wisconsin Public Radio, and her outreach specialist, Karina Abrego-Cook, about how these stories and voices from neighbors we haven't met in person yet are helping us engage with issues, and they're actually drawing us closer together as a community, which is really exciting. Here's what they had to say. 
Well, I am here with Maureen McCollum, and she is the host and producer for Wisconsin Life on Wisconsin Public Radio. Hello, Maureen. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad you're here. And also joining us is Karina Abrego-Cook, and she's the Outreach Specialist at Wisconsin Public Radio. Welcome, Karina. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, this will be an exciting conversation. And Maureen, I want to start with you. The name of your Home is Here series really has an interesting origin. Can you share a little bit more about that and what your series is about? Sure. Um, it's actually a project that came from some of our partners at the New News Lab. So uh, a few years ago, Fox Valley 365, Green Bay Press Gazette, and Post Crescent decided that they wanted to do a news feature a project on the changing demographics of Northeast Wisconsin. So after the census numbers came out, which I love census numbers, I could geek out over those all day. (laughs) But like, you know, if you put out a story about census numbers, it's not always the most interesting to people. And what's interesting, though, is hearing the stories behind the census numbers. And so that's where they decided like, okay, we're going to look at the fact that demographics here are changing in Northeast Wisconsin. And and like who you know, who are a part of those demographics. And that's where Karina came in and where some of Karina's stories were featured, not only in that newspaper and digital online uh, project, but then also once we jumped in with Wisconsin Life, uh, recording stories for Home Is Here. So Yeah, and I can can add to where the phrase Home Is Here came from. Um, It was actually uh, the second paragraph from the Green Bay Press-Gazette when they launched the series. They said, the phrase home is here comes from a business leader whose family fled, fled Southeast Asia after the Vietnam War. He was speaking about the Hmong experience in our region, um, but it applies equally to the other racial and ethnic groups that call Northeast Wisconsin home. Yeah, and I also agree I agree with both of you. I could also geek out over those 2020 census numbers. Uh, but as you say in your series, it really only provides just a, a small sliver of what we're all about here. The numbers really don't uh, talk that much about the stories behind uh, the growing number of Black, Asian, Native American, Hispanic residents uh, in our Northeast Wisconsin region. It's really more about answering the question, who are we? So uh, who are we? Yeah, how do I answer that? Who are we? (laughs) Um, We're like the new melting pot. It's like we're the new New York or something, you know, and it's happening so fast. And it's, it's so interesting that it's happening like so much later than some other cities. Um, I'd, I'd love to like dig into what exactly has caused that in the last 25, 30 years, you know, like what events have led up to that. I mean, I know that um, a lot of the Hmong refugees being placed here is part of it. Um, but I'm, I'm so curious about like, you know, what brought in Hispanic people and um, and everyone else. And it's just so interesting. I, I do think that a lot of the reason why people come here might be a temporary reason, but they end up staying because, I mean, it's just such an amazing place to live. We have so many opportunities here. It's affordable. I mean, there's a reason why uh, Northeast Wisconsin keeps ending up on these lists being like number one in the nation for for a place to live. You know, I was six when we moved to Green Bay. Um, we came from Kenosha, um, and this was 1987. Um now, for me, being a child, I mean, I don't think I had really an idea of what being different totally was or just like standing out before, you know, like 
but I was always really loud and proud about my background. I was always like telling people what I was or if anybody had dark hair or looked a little different, I was like, you know, asking them if they had, you know, if they were Mexican or if they were Japanese too. Like anybody who was Asian around here, I, I just flat out like just asked them like, are you Japanese? Because I was always so excited to meet people like me. Um, but, you know, there really weren't many people here like me. Um, and I didn't really notice that as much. Um I noticed it. Well, I should say my my dad is the one who would make comments to me when I was growing as as I've been growing up um, as I grew up here. Um, and since I've kind of been on my own personal DEI journey, um, like a couple years ago, I joined the Brown County Diversity Committee. Um, when I did that, my dad started opening up even more to me, sharing more stories with me. Um, encounters that he had. And he, he said that like, we'd go to Bay Beach, um, the amusement park, and he would notice that like, almost nobody there had dark hair like us. There might have been a few Native American people who had who, you know, had dark hair, but like the majority of people did not look a thing like us. Um, he, um, he's a musician, and he was trying out for a band. And this was around 1990, maybe. He said that um, he called the home of the band that he auditioned for, the the lead guy, and the wife of this man answered the phone, and he heard her say as she was handing the phone to her husband, it's the guy with the dark hair. Oh, okay. Interesting. So the little things like that that really stood out to him, and I didn't realize how much it impacted him. And to be completely honest with you, and I don't, I don't know how comfortable he'd be to know that I'm sharing this, but um, he wasn't comfortable being loud and proud about his background like I was. He wouldn't tell people, his coworkers, even uh, my stepmom. He wasn't fully open with her about his background, and he thought he wasn't in a safe space anywhere to fully share his background, especially where he worked. He was a carpenter with the union, and he's, he flat out said he worked with racist people. And now it wasn't until recently when I had joined the committee that he said that the people that he worked with were like neo-Nazis, like that kind of racist. And I was just like, what? What now? <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, oh my, wow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Karina, you um, in the series, you talk about your identity uh, well, let's just say that you are probably one of the more diverse uh, folks that we might have as far as your roots go. And you mentioned, you know, about your dad's comfort level and feeling safe. Tell us about your dad and, and your heritage and, and feeling safe in this area. My dad's heritage. Um, it's really interesting. Um, so he's 100% Mexican. He's second generation. So his mom was born in Wyoming two years after it became a state. She was born in 1914. And her family, I'm not, I don't know a whole lot of their background, but I know that they wound up in uh, Kenosha in 1917. I, I recently found this out. I was just like, wait, what? I remember telling somebody that I thought that my family was one of the first Mexican families in Kenosha, but I mean, I was just assuming, and it turns out I was kind of right there. Um, but now his dad was from Mexico. He, um, got citizenship for joining uh, the U.S. Army during World War II. So he's 100% Mexican, but now um, his dad actually died uh, in, when my dad was only six months old. And so it's really interesting because, you know, 
he's 100% Mexican, but he was very blended in culturally. Um, my grandmother didn't t- teach him Spanish. Um, there weren't a whole lot of traditions passed down. I mean, he talked about how she would make tortillas from scratch, but that's like, that's pretty much all that he has told me about you know, his upbringing. So it's really interesting, like when I say like, you know, I'm very, very diverse, but I am unfortunately very disconnected to that heritage. I don't have deep, deep roots um, or or traditions, really. I speak more Spanish than my dad because of learning it in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you know, um, how important is having that connection, especially with the the folks who are here, maybe who are newer to our area, and uh, bringing some of their traditions here? How important is it for, for future generations to feel connected to the past? Oh, I think it's so important um, to know where you came from. Like, you appreciate where you are and what you have when you are connected to your ancestors. Um, even though I didn't get to meet many of mine, um, also my my mom's mom from Japan passed away when my mom was seven. Um, even though I didn't get to meet her, I just, those little things that I do have, you know, like eating sushi with my mom or my mom making sushi for me when I was a kid, just those little, little things like just make me feel special. And and now with my kids, the little things that like, you know, we go for ramen, we go for sushi or, you know, I, watching them devour nori snacks. It's just, it warms <laughs> my heart. <laughs> Well, you, your story is prominently featured in the Home is Here series, and uh, your particular story is called Taking on an Accent. You know, as if we in northern Wisconsin have an accent. Really, Karina? <laughs> I don't think we do. I think we probably have all... No, anyway, but I know, I know. we probably do. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> well, Charlie Barron's has a career because of this, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, let's take listen to some of that audio from Taking on an Accent. Here's Karina. How do you travel halfway around the world and still feel connected to home? For WPR's Karina Abrego-Cook of Green Bay, she listened to the sound of her own voice and the voice of someone she loves. She shares her story as part of the Home is Here project, which amplifies the voices of the growing number of Black, Asian, Native American, and Hispanic residents who call Northeastern Wisconsin home. Two things about me that you need to know for this story. I've always been loud and proud about my family's background and where I come from. Also, I'm an Anglophile, meaning I'm obsessed with British culture. It started with my love of Tears for Fears when I was three, and then the Beatles in my teen years. Growing up, I was always forthcoming about my heritage. My family moved from Kenosha to Green Bay in 1987, and there weren't many people who looked anything like me in northeast Wisconsin. So people often flat out asked me, What are you? I'm half Mexican, a quarter Japanese, an eighth Irish, and an eighth Norwegian. I'd joke that I'm diverse within myself, or I'd make a new term calling myself Hispasian, or triracial. I remember one time when I was 12, I was talking about our family background, and my dad said, Yeah, but if you travel outside the country, you aren't going to say that. You're going to tell them you're American. That stuck with me my entire life. I had to wait another 12 years to leave the country to see how an exchange with someone from outside the country might go. My friend Sean asked me if I wanted to join him in London for his spring break. It was the trip of a lifetime. (laughs) 
While there, we dined with a group of Romanian college students. My family background eventually came up in conversation, and their jaws dropped. They had never met someone with such a diverse background. In a way, it was a new experience for me too, because as Americans, we're used to people having ancestors from more than one country. My trip to London not only got me thinking about my tri-racial identity, but also my Wisconsin accent. You know the accent with its long vowels. Now something strange happened in my short time in London. As the week progressed, my friend and I noticed my accent changing. One morning at a coffee shop, I ordered an Americano and I didn't recognize the voice that came out of my mouth. I didn't sound like my Wisconsin self. In fact, I sounded a little British. <laughs> I was in London for less than a week and I was taking on bits of their accent. I was not totally surprised though. I've always been able to imitate or mimic others easily. Though this time it was subconscious mimicking. Was it because I wanted to be British? Not for the food, but you know, the music and the culture, of course. Later that week, we went to the loudest Irish pub on St. Patrick's Day, and I struck up a conversation with a guy from Australia. I'm not sure how he could hear it, but he said I sounded like I was from Canada. And I laughed and I told him that I was from not far from there. So my Wisconsin accent wasn't completely gone. The next day was the moment I was really looking forward to during the whole trip. It was the visit to Abbey Road Studios. After doing all the touristy beetle things and posing for photos, I couldn't wait to tell my dad about my adventure. After all, he bought me my first Beatles CD, Rubber Soul. Incidentally, it was the first Beatles album he had. I found one of those iconic red British phone booths to call my musician dad, who always fostered my love of music. After he answered, I told him how I walked across Abbey Road barefoot like Paul McCartney and peeped through the studio's iron gates. And it was at that moment, my friend said, that my Northeast Wisconsin accent came back completely. It's because I was talking to Dad in Green Bay. Wherever my dad is, that's home. My name is Karina. I'm half Mexican, a quarter Japanese, an eighth Irish, and an eighth Norwegian. I call Green Bay home, and you can hear it in my Wisconsin-accented voice. Well, that was Karina Abrego-Cook, and she is the Outreach Specialist at Wisconsin Public Radio. And just to remind you that uh, Maureen McCollum is here, too, and uh, she's the host and producer for this Wisconsin Life Stories on Wisconsin Public Radio. This series uh, for Home is here. And uh, Maureen, I, these stories are just so incredible. Uh, where can people listen to these, and uh, what will they find when they get to your site? Yes. So uh, they, I agree. These stories are incredible. I'm so thankful for each of the storytellers and how they opened up. Um, the stories can all be found pretty easily on Wisconsin Life's website. So go to wisconsinlife.org. Uh, you can search for Home is Here in the top right corner in the search function, and that should take you to a list of all five storytellers. Um, so you hear from folks uh, from Green Bay, Appleton, Kimberly, and it's a good variety of stories too. Uh, one of the things I really liked about working on this project was that each of the people, each of the storytellers that we had on WPR, they were featured in that original reporting project for Home is Here. And um, the folks at the Green Bay Press Gazette reached out and asked each person, hey, do you want to tell a personal story that they're going to record on the radio? And these are the five people who reached out and said, yes, I'd love to. We gave them no direction whatsoever. We said, 
Do you have something that you want to share? Do you want to write a personal story? Do you uh, anything? The you know, like the the airwaves are yours. And so with each of these stories, that's what each of these people came up with. Um and uh yeah, with very I mean, I say very little direction. Um I mean they were all so yeah. talented in what they presented. The only regret was a lot of the stories ran long and we had to edit them <laughs> down for broadcast. But if you go on our website, wisconsinlife.org, you get to read the whole story. Excellent. So that's nice. So not all is lost. And we'll yeah. also put a link in our show notes to uh, the whole yes, series. And I, I was going to ask you, Maureen, uh, is there anything as you were doing these stories and, and, and hearing just the heart of, of these folks who were sharing, is there anything that surprised you? Hmm. I was just really thankful to get to know more people from this region. Like I said, I've never lived in Northeast Wisconsin. Um, so I, I know Karina because we work together, which is a real joy. But I hadn't met Milo Lee. I hadn't met Miriam Brabham or Paolor or Jesus Gregorio Smith. I I didn't know them before this. And now I was so happy to not only work with them on their essays, but just to be able to chat with each of them afterwards. Um, some of them will be sending more stories to air on Wisconsin Life, which I'm very thankful for. Um, even though each of the stories is really different, so people talking about, like Karina and her story, she talks about visiting London and how she felt connected to home while she was, you know, halfway around the world. Um, there's another person, Paolor, who shares a story about how he went back home uh, to Laos for the first time and what that experience was like. Um, another person talks about uh, protesting. And so how each of these stories, like they're talking about different things, but really at the core and at the heart of it, it's like we all just want to feel like safe in our communities. We all want to feel welcome in our communities. We want to feel a part of our communities. And so, yeah, each story is different, but they all have the same themes if you really stop and think about it. Yeah, I, I encourage our listeners to listen to each one of these They're featured. Beautiful. Yes, beautiful. they really are. You mentioned Jesus, and uh, yeah. he's from the Appleton area where we are. Um, incredible story. And he talks about facing racism and talking a little bit about how he dealt with that. Uh, can you share a little bit about that and, and his story? Yeah, so Jesus Gregorio Smith is an assistant professor at Lawrence University. He specializes in ethnic studies. And what I loved about his story was that he took this particular moment in time and then zoomed out. And so, you know, we're with him in Appleton, and then he goes back and tells us, like, kind of how he got to this point, and then we're back at it. This point in time he's talking about is this moment when he encountered a really hateful sign uh, on a, the side of a business in Appleton with a homophobic slur, just really something painful that it was painful for him to see. But then he talks about how he really started thinking about young people who may see that and the impact that that could have on them. He zooms back, we learn his life story and what kind of got him to where he is professionally as a professor, you know, just his relationship with his parents and where he grew up and finding his own identity. And then we're back in the moment where he decides like that hateful sign, I'm going to do something about this. And he decides to protest it. Um, that event, I think, made some headlines in the Appleton area. And so you can see that and people can be like, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. But then to hear the story and learn about the person who did something about it, I think is even more meaningful. And it's just a this wonderful way to get to know your neighbors. Um you know, maybe you don't run in the same circles as Jesus, or maybe you don't go to Lawrence University. But you hear that story, and you're like, yes, I'm so 
happy he's my neighbor. I'm so happy he's part of this community. Well, let's take a listen to this story called That is How You Turn Hate into Love with Appleton's Jesus Gregorio Smith. Here he is. I saw the sign up on Richmond Street in downtown Appleton, and I couldn't believe my eyes. It was just a sign flashing the F word, the one that rhymes with maggots. It was displayed across a business sign so everyone driving down the road could see it like it was nothing. All I could think about was how could this be possible? Those poor queer kids who already have a hard time with family within themselves being gay or bi or trans, what happens when they see this sign spewing so much hate? I had to do something. I've experienced my fair share of hatred and bigotry throughout my life. I was born and raised in the little old town of El Paso, Texas. My father, Johnny Smith, is an African-American man who was born in the 1940s during legal segregation. While dad was stationed at Fort Bliss, he traveled to Juarez, Mexico with his fellow soldiers for drinks and fun nights. It's there he fell in love with my mother, Sonia Smith. Once they were married, they had five mixed-race children. I'm the youngest of the five. I had the luxury and honor of having two cultural backgrounds and influences in my life. But that luxury also had costs. I recall the first time I was ever called the N-word, and it was by Mexican folks. And I thought to myself, don't we all have it bad enough? Why are we picking on each other? I'll never forget the time my mother gave me this serious talk in first grade because she was embarrassed with how feminine I was as a child. In fact, the first person to ever call me the F-word was my mother. My father instilled a particular vision of black masculinity that was meant to protect my brothers and I in the world. He stressed that I needed to get a good job in computers in order to be successful. As I got older, I hid my gayness and only pursued paths that would make my family proud, keep me hidden, and keep the comments about me to a minimum. But college didn't lead to a career in computers. Instead, I faced my fears and embraced my identity. I began empowering fellow members of the queer LGBTQIA community. Eventually, I got my PhD in sociology with a focus on race, sexuality, and masculinity. And that's what brought me to Wisconsin, a job at Appleton's Lawrence University as an assistant professor of ethnic studies. Which brings me back to that homophobic sign I saw in downtown Appleton. I didn't let the hate deter me. So when I decided to protest under the sign, I gated it up even more to be exactly what the sign said I was. I put on a purple wig, a rainbow shirt, white high heels, and danced around to Born This Way by Lady Gaga. I filmed a silly video and took a photo. The photo went viral on social media. Not too long after, numerous Appleton residents showed up to fight against the hate, resulting in it coming down. I took that viral image, put it on a shirt, and sold it. And raised $15,000 for the Sexual Assault Crisis Center. That is how you turn that hate into love. Through the process of finding oneself, embracing oneself, and living as one's authentic self, one can counter painful experiences and turn them into something different. I tried to hide myself from pain, but when I bravely faced it, I overcame it. It isn't easy, but I think we deserve to see a different world. Determining your own path, despite what others say, can help you break out of molds that confine you. I eventually embraced who I was, 
it made a huge difference in people's lives, as well as my own. As we head into the winter season, it's a great time to reflect. What do you care about? What truly matters? What legacy do you want to be known for? The Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region can help you turn what matters most into your legacy to make our community better today and tomorrow. Find out how. Go to cffoxvalley.org. We are back in our final segment with Maureen McCullum and also Karina Abrego-Cook with Wisconsin Public Radio. And uh, they've done this wonderful series that we're talking about today. Home is here as part of the new News Lab. Before we talk about the the rest of the series, let's talk a little bit about the News Lab, uh, ladies. And, and let's talk about the need for why we needed to have a News Lab in the first place. Yeah, I mean, we're in a really at times dire moment in in the journalism world where you know you're seeing different media organizations legacy media organizations lose staffing uh lose coverage uh you know news departments are folding and so i think we need to start thinking about different ways to work together and collaborate but I think, you know, something with the new news lab, it's, it's strength in numbers. So if there is a huge issue going on in the area, something like changing demographics, how is it that each of these different news organizations can dive into that? And instead of just Wisconsin Public Radio looking into ch- changing demographics, work together with our colleagues at the Green Bay Press Gazette or the Press Times and just really think about how do we keep journalism going um, and how do we come together, put differences aside, put egos aside, and just best serve our communities? Yeah, and I know that Voices from the Valley, uh, I would say, you know, the, our purposes are the same, uh, to really lift up those voices and those stories from people that maybe you're not uh, neighbors with directly, but they are our neighbors. Every We're all a community together. And uh, so here in the Fox Valley, uh, we depend heavily on the stories that you'll all share from uh, the new news lab. In fact, I would say half of our topics come from what you are covering because they're so important. Uh, child care housing, you know, the the rental crisis and that kind of thing. And so I am just really glad that we're all a part of this initiative together. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about another of your Home is Here series. Uh, you recently interviewed somebody from Appleton, and her name is Maya Loli, and she talked about her background. Uh, tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear in this next segment. Yeah, so Maya Loli, uh, she's lived in Appleton for many years. Um, she worked in at UW-Green Bay for quite a while. She now works for um, the state's Division of Public Health Um through her story, she decided she wanted to just really think about like, okay, so home is here, but what is home? Like, how do I feel like I'm at home? And she talked about how um, she was born in a refugee camp in Thailand. And so to my home has never been necessarily a physical place. She says home is where I feel safe. And so she talked about a few different things that make her feel like she's at home. Um, 
I felt a little funny about including this because it felt super self-serving, but she said that she also feels at home when she hears Wisconsin Public Radio because when she was growing up, it was one of the few places that her family could turn to to hear people, um, to hear programming in Hmong, in the Hmong language. And so she just talked about the importance of having that connection to the radio as a child and throughout her life. So yeah, my story is just, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, I loved learning about her life and, and I've really been thankful to get to know her through this process. Well, why don't we introduce you to Milo Lee's story right now and uh, hear a little bit more about what she thinks about home. Home is a hard concept for me. I was born in a refugee camp. I was in the Bang Vinai Holding Center in northeastern Thailand. So home to me has never been a physical placement. Home has never been an address or location. The awareness of what home is has always been associated with a feeling of safety. There are a few things that remind me of home. The first is the smell of traditional Hmong black chicken boiled with Hmong chua. This herb bundle includes lemongrass, joe pie, weed, Okinawa, spinach, and mugwort, among the many other Hmong traditional herbs. As a young child, this earthy smell greeted me many early mornings and comforted me many late evenings. My immigrant Hmong parents had taken refuge from the American War in Vietnam and eventually made central Wisconsin their new home. One of their chosen professions was ginseng farming. Therefore, I was a ginseng farmer. During the early summer mornings, I would be greeted with the smell of boiled chicken and herbs for breakfast, because according to my parents, farming is real work and I needed real food. My family's WIC-approved cereal was only good for learning at school. At the age of seven, I was manually removing large rocks from untilled acres of farmland in preparation of the land being tractor-tilled for ginseng crops. Once the ginseng plants were seeded and emerged from their hay beds, I worked every day. I would pull wild violets, goosegrass, creeping charlie, and crabgrass weeds underneath the aluminum mash net that created shade for the ginseng plants. After a long day of farming, most evenings my mom would add more water, salt, and black pepper and reheat the boiled chicken for dinner. I always felt safe eating this dish. I felt safe adding more black pepper or asking for red chilies to spice up my dish. Still, one of my favorite dishes is home-cooked white jasmine rice with hot black chicken boiled with chua. There's another thing that makes me feel instantly at home, and that's when I hear Wisconsin Public Radio. The early dark morning rides to the ginseng fields were often long. I always liked listening because I never feared having to speak back. As a dual-language child who had a stammer and stutter, conversations scared me. Conversations scared me because I was unsure of how much of myself I would share, if my words would come out right if I did want to share, and lastly, would I matter? Wisconsin Public Radio allowed me to be safe, to be part of the conversation by listening and learning. As Hmong refugees, my mom and dad often listened to WPR because of the weekly Hmong public radio. Every radio in the house, ginseng field and car, was defaulted to Wisconsin public radio in fear of missing the Saturday Hmong program. 
The Hmong program was special to me because I was able to hear Hmong conversations by Hmong people. This was something I did not see on television or at school. Home is a hard concept for me. It may be because I was born in a refugee camp. It may be because I was raised in central Wisconsin, growing up along the sides of shaded ginseng crops. Home to me has never been a physical placement. Home has never been a physical address or location. Home is where I am safe. Well, we are back wrapping up this episode with our special guests, Maureen McCollum and Karina Abrego-Cook. And thank you both for joining us. I want to talk to you a little bit before we close about the importance of these stories and what they really mean to building and shaping our communities that we live in up here in Northeast Wisconsin. I think the reason I got into public radio uh, was I wanted to help people understand one another better. And that doesn't mean that we have to necessarily agree with one another. But just to hear and understand where a person is coming from, I think, makes a huge difference. So for example, like, my shares that, you know, her favorite dish is this Hmong black chicken, <laughs> I could be like, well, but my favorite dish is lemon chicken. And I disagree, because I'm going to stand my ground on that statement. Um, but then hearing her talk about why she loves black chicken so much and what it means to her, I might step back and say, oh, okay, I get that. I still love my lemon chicken, but I love this for you too. And I understand why that means so much to you. I know that's kind of a silly example, but I do believe in that. I believe that in people sharing their personal truths and their personal stories, it can help us just understand one another better, um, perhaps come together more, a little more in our communities and, um, and like I said, just we all want to live in safe, in safe spaces and be happy and be contributing members of society. So I think, yeah, sharing these stories is is really powerful. And I'm just I'm so grateful that each of these people opened up um, because it's not easy. Opening up and sharing your truth is not easy. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Karina. How about you, Maureen? What what has this meant to you? Um, storytelling is powerful. Storytelling, um, it, it connects people. I've had a lot of people tell me that um, my story, like having, you know, an accent abroad, like that they've had times when they've gone abroad or out of state and, you know, people have kind of like picked up like, hey, you're not from around here. Or, hey, are you from Canada? Things like that. Um, there's little bits that, you know, connect people, things that we have in common. And even if there's not, you know, I think hearing somebody's voice tell a story, hear their emotion um, there's, there's empathy there. There's, there's humanity and you just, you make that connection. And what was really great about home is here. Um, both the, the series from the NEW news lab and, um, the Wisconsin life series is people of color in the media sometimes are misrepresented. And I feel like this was a chance for people of color to take charge of the narrative, to really tell our stories. Well, and, and I really appreciate both of you helping to open up and break down barriers and uh, helping people to get to know one another uh, in their communities even better. I, I thank you both for joining us. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. 
We are wrapping up this episode, Tammy, and we hope that we've inspired our listeners to check out the new News Lab stories on our website and, of course, the full new News Lab impact report that uh, we talked about earlier. Those are in our show notes today, and you can get there just by going to cffoxvalley.org slash podcasts and look for this episode. And while you're over there, you can also subscribe and get all of our episodes delivered to you wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. Thank you.